The, uh, if you remember last week, we started this a short little series. We talked about uh, living a, you know, a life victorious in the middle of difficult times. And we saw that, you know, first of all, it's a fact of life. Christ said it was going to be uh, that way. Uh, Paul showed it was going to be that way. Paul taught it would be that way. But we also have choices uh, in the middle of the different difficulties. You can have desertion, which you had with Demas. You can have realize it's a time of development really looking at developing your life. You can also display to others, you know, what Christ is doing and you show to other people how you handle difficulties and really be a testimony. Uh, you can also, the hard part, I think probably the hardest part is to allow Christ to repay. You know, most of us, how many of us want to repay when we're being treated poorly? We kind of want to take it into our own hands. And uh, obviously, the looking at the duration, that hey, in the end, there is a great reward, just like she sang in the song. And you look at it, the focus, you remember, during difficult times is what do we have? So often we look at what we don't have instead of looking at what we do have, the eternal possessions and all the different things that we have. And do we really believe it's greater than anything uh, the world has to offer? Obviously, Moses did in Luke and Hebrews 11. The, uh, also, then, we realize that it's passing. Even if it lasts your whole lifetime, this life is quite short when you look at eternity. So keeping it in mind proves who we are, and then we also need to keep our eyes fixed on who? Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So I think it's important that we look at it. Today I'd like to look at a little bit on the living the victorious Christian life, but with the pattern of Paul. How did Paul do it? So I remember in uh, December of 2000, uh, Will, <coughs> Will and I went on a missionary trip to Malaysia person that was leading the trip was Dirk Moore, and he and I, we went to church together, and he was ahead of the uh, HES at the time, which H is health, E is environmental, and S was safety. They've since split it all up and have managers for all of them, but he was over all of it. And he was leading it, and so while we were there, he, they put together a Christmas program that we presented to the people, showing the Christmas story, what Christ had done, and uh, we did that. We visited homes. We also did a lot of maintenance. And uh, so, obviously, Dirk saw me working with all the different equipment and things. And so, when we got back, he asked me or offered me a job at the refinery. And I said, well, you know, I've never, I've never set foot in a refinery, let alone work on equipment I've never seen. And uh, anyway, I said, well, how about if I try it in December? When my yards are slow, don't really have anything, and we go six weeks or do whatever, and if it doesn't work out for either one of us, I go back to doing yards, and nobody really knows I've been missing. And uh, so anyway, he had me under a man by the name of Richard. Richard had had his second heart surgery, and he was going to be retiring, and there would be nobody to do the job. So he said, we need somebody that can work without supervision, but it'll take... We can't put it in writing, but we want you to commit to five years. It'll take two years of him training you every day before you really understand all the equipment. And then we want you to commit to three years working without it. So four years, uh, he trained me, and I learned all kinds of stuff. You know, how they work, troubleshooting, and how to design systems, how to do repair them, and all that kind of stuff. And four years later, he retired, and so... The last 17, I've been on my own. But if it hadn't been for Richard, I wouldn't have made it. I would not have been, or, or it would have been much more difficult. 
because you, you know, so many things happen, and then you, he can then say, well, if it's doing that, this is what happens, this is how you fix it, and uh, he was one that could fix anything. I mean, it was just amazing the uh, the uh, capability that that individual had. But when you think about it, just looking the pattern that Richard showed and basically helped me to realize, okay, you don't do this, you do this, when you hear this, it means this. And uh, he'd let me go out and try things, and then all of a sudden when I ran into something, I could come back. Well, the same thing happens with Paul. And Paul's about to die and different things, and he's wanting to help Timothy. So we, Paul had difficulty, would you agree? And he's then going to tell you how do you handle difficulty. So let's look a little bit about it. Uh, when you think about it, when you <clears throat> look at the first part then is the... Uh, this the prophecy. If you remember, we already saw last week in Acts chapter 9 when it said that Paul was going to be have to suffer for Christ. He had the same thing, if you remember, in John chapter 15. We'll look at this briefly because I want to get to the other part. But look over in John 15 when Christ was speaking. John chapter 15, and he just talked about the greatest commandment and, uh, and so on about laying down your life and love one another. In John chapter 15, I want you to think about this if you're a follower of Christ as we say that we are. You notice in verse 18 of John 15, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. President, if you're a follower of Christ, they hated Christ, they're going to hate you. And I think how many times we wonder, why do people not like us? I've not done anything to them. Uh, irregardless of nationality or anything else, there's actually only two sides in the world when you stop and think about it. Followers of Christ, followers of Satan. But notice then you have that. But notice in 19, if you're of the world, the world will not love its own. But because you're not of the world, I cho- chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. You have partners, those that are of the world, they're with Satan, those who are with Christ, and so on. So I think it's important to recognize as a follower of Christ, you're going to have it, and you obviously can see in 21, you're going to suffer for his name's sake. Because you're a follower of Christ, you're going to suffer. You saw that it can be different. It can be a mental suffering, and it can be a physical suffering. In India and in Malaysia, you have a lot of physical suffering. When you're just like an Adam and Tasha, there's a lot of mental. You mean you follow that? A lot of mental things. I can't believe you'd believe that. The Reformation, well, that was a long time ago, but we've, you know, we've, we've you know, we're enlightened now. We're, we're way beyond that. So you can get mental suffering, but you can also get, and they both are hard. Sometimes mental is even more difficult. So you have it. If you also remember not only the prophecy part of the, the followers are going to have it, but you also remember Christ prophesied it in Matthew 24. We won't turn to it. Remember, he says, in the last days, their love will grow cold, and many will fall away. You have the same thing if you think about it in First Timothy chapter four. It's interesting, Paul, when he writes to Timothy, both in First Timothy and in Second Timothy, and we'll just briefly look at it in First Timothy chapter four. Notice what he says in First Timothy chapter four. Notice in verse one. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 1. The Spirit explicitly says that in the latter times some will fall away. Paying attention to deceitful spirits 
and doctrines of demons. But first of all, notice it's predicted it's going to happen. Christ predicted it. Paul predicted it. Peter predicted it. And Peter. John predicted it. First John. There's going to be a falling away. And there's going to be love's going to grow cold. And notice, I think in verse 2, we'll see this too, I think. Notice what it says. By means of hypocrisy of liars searing their own conscience. Today we have so much going on in our world and it's like people have no conscience. They've taken an iron and just seared their conscience. They do all kinds of things. You think, how in the world could they sleep at night? Because they're listening to false the doctrines of demons and they're searing their conscience. So when you think about it, when you look at this, prophesy with Paul or anything else, difficult times are going to come. They're going to cross our path. The question is, who am I going to follow? Who am I going to listen to? And will I be deceived or not? Ephesians 4, you remember it says, why you have pastors and teachers not to be tossed to and fro by everyone to doctrine. Peter writes in 2 Peter 3 that those who don't know their Bible are tossed to and fro and are easily deceived. So it's going to be out there and we see it. So the first thing I just want to talk about is the prophecy part. And notice that in 2 Timothy you have the practice. If you know what you're looking at, it helps you to identify it. So look at what are some of the descriptions of some of the false teachers. I think it's interesting what Paul writes. Remember, this is his last letter, and he's writing to Timothy again. And notice he wants to make sure he realizes. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, notice what he says. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. Predicting it again. So, you know, I think we, well, it's amazing why we are so surprised about what's happening in our country. It was predicted. It's going to get worse. Notice then also the practice. And I think it's interesting from verse 2 down to verse 6, it's self-gratification. Men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable. Malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Would you say that kind of fits our culture? Okay. That was predicted, and that's their practice, self-indulgence. Notice also what they have in verse 7. Always learning, but never able to come to knowledge of the truth. We have an increase of knowledge today, but have they found Christ? No, constantly increasing. So you have the practice, their characteristic self-indulgence, seeking truth but never finding it. But notice what does he tell you at the end of verse 5 for us as believers? Avoid what? Such men. Why are you told to avoid it? It's because of 1 Corinthians 15, bad company corrupts good morals. In Psalms chapter 1, don't stand, don't sit, don't walk counsel of the ungodly because you will it will affect you why that's why it's so critical of where people are schooling and everything else Shelley has a, a tremendous difficult job with what all they're trying to put in, in schools today to be true to the word of God and also teach a subject but then if, if kids don't know and aren't prepared they can easily get swept that's what happens often when they go off to college they're not prepared as well as they should be and or for whatever it might be so be thinking about that. Notice the caution, the concentration. Notice the conclusion, I think, is interesting on this in verse 8. Just as Janus and Jambres, 
Okay, we're not given their names in the Old Testament, although secular literature says that's the two then that you know took these snakes and and did the miracles uh, in, against Moses, stood against Moses with Pharaoh. And notice then what happens. It says in verse nine, there finally comes to truth, just like there. So with time, the truth that Moses was superior and God was superior came forth. The same will be true here. It takes time. That's part of why in First John it tells you test the spirits, don't believe everything while you have time. That's why even here at church, you all have set up before I ever came. A person has to be a member of a church for the year before they do things. Why? So you can see. Otherwise, it's so easy to get stuff going on, and it's then much more difficult. So I'm thinking about it, and you look at it, their practice is such <clears throat> that uh, self-indulgence and basically never really reaching the truth. And we have to be careful. So you think about it. Do I test people and observe them so that I know, you know basically what to do? And it's important for us to do that. Uh, <clears throat> And when you look at their actions, not just their words. How many of them can quote you stuff, but their actions show otherwise? So you're thinking about that. Now, the part I really want to look at, starting in verse uh, 10, and then it'll also be in, in Corinthians. So here you have the false teachers. He says there's going to be a bunch of them. He tells you descriptions about them. But what should you do? Notice what Paul tells you. Think about this, the pattern. You follow my teaching, my conduct, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my perseverance, persecutions and sufferings, such as happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, that's all found in Acts 13. What persecutions I endure. Think about it. What does he tell you? Timothy, you are with me, and I want you to act just like I act. When I was persecuted, did I sing? Did a God praise? That's really you think about it. How of us can turn to people and say, you want to know how to handle problems? Just handle them like I did. Somebody pulls out one thing, 69. Thank you, no problem. Go ahead, right? Isn't that how we do? That's amazing when you think about it. What all he, he's in prison right now for serving Christ, and it's not like a prison of today. All this he's gone through. Hey Timothy, you've seen me do it, you do it. Just like I did. So I think what happens in, just like with Richard, how do I know how to do things? He showed me. He was patient and he showed me. You know, why does Glenn mentor these different individuals? So they can hear it and see it. It's much, you know, there's some that can learn just by the book. I can handle the book, this is the pump, this is how it works. But the problem is, it's air, it's pneumatic. You have to know the sounds. And how do you explain a sound to somebody? It's just like on a, you know, when you're working on cars, you hear a sound. Oh, that's a, a you know, that's an exhaust. Leak. That's a carburetor. That's a vacuum leak. Well, how do you describe that to people? You have to see it and go through it. And so I think it's important to recognize what he said. Notice he says the pattern. Notice he also has a partner. What about in verse 11, which he's going to talk about when you get to Corinthians? So we're going to look at that a little bit later. Who is with him? The Lord was with him. It's, it's critical. You and I cannot make it through all this persecution on our own. You do your part, but you need the Holy Spirit and His help along the way. But notice something else that you have. I think it's interesting when you look at it. He has the 
prophecy then, notice again, and indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. He's telling them again, you're going to be persecuted. No matter what you do, you will be persecuted in different forms. Notice he says, even men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Is it going to get better? No. Notice then what he tells you the second part. So one is follow my example. Two, you have the Holy Spirit to help you. Notice the third part. From 14 to 17, when you look at the context, we quote 16 and 17 a lot, but look at the context. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, that from childhood you've been known the sacred scriptures. What's the third thing? The Word of God. What's going to help you through persecutions is the Word of God. Notice what he says, to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through the faith which is in Christ. Notice the context then. He's telling him, persecution's coming. Follow my example. You have the Holy Spirit, but notice what will Scripture do for you. All Scripture is inspired by God. is profitable for what? Teaching, reproof, correction, for training in righteousness, so the man of God may be equipped for what? To good works. Look at the context that you have then. So how do you, Paul's pattern is what? Follow me. Remember he's told him, be imitators of me as I am imitators of who? Christ. So imitate what I've done, like what Christ did. You have the Holy Spirit that's going to help you. You also have the Word of God that will help you. That's why he said you have to study to show yourself approved. The Word of God can't help you if you're not in it. How many of you look at stuff and don't say, but it didn't really mean much to you, but all of a sudden, a month later, a year later, five years later, you get in a situation and what? You need that passage. You need that. And the Holy Spirit can bring it to your mind. So you think about it, you have this plan that you have. When you look at it, this part that you have, he has this, you know, you look at it, you talk about persecution is going to come, right? Don't be surprised. How did Paul handle it? Okay, did he run from it? No. He looked at, right at it, recognized it, and he even welcomed it because, hey, you know, I'm thankful we consider worthy to suffer for Christ. He had the Holy Spirit. Let's look at the part. Remember I talked about the, uh, <clears throat> the partner that you have. Look over in 2 Corinthians. Paul writes about the part of the partner in 2 Corinthians. So look over in 2 Corinthians. So you have the prophecy is going to be there. As we have seen, you're also, remember the practice, the false teachers, recognize it. And then we need to plan for it. But notice in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, <clears throat> Paul writes, it's interesting what he has, starting in verse 8. We do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came upon us in Asia, which remember we already read about last week and which he wrote about in the different ones, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so we just did the, you know, despaired even life. Pretty severe, isn't it? I mean, we're ready and we, you know, it was so hard we wanted to die all the things we're going through, internally, externally. 
notice what he says. Indeed, we had had the sentence of death within ourselves in order that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raised the dead. Why does he sometimes put you beyond what you can do? God, I can't do this. It's too much. And what does he say? I'm glad you finally realized it. We need to recognize our... We cannot handle persecution. We're not self-sufficient to handle it on our own. We have to have God's help. So notice it's interesting. The self-sufficiency is not there. Notice what you get the last part of 9 then. <clears throat> we didn't trust ourselves when God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death, and who delivers. He of whom we have set our hope, He will yet deliver us. Okay, so... You look at Paul's pattern. Self-sufficiency will make it? No. Relying on Christ will make it. But notice something else you rely on. Notice in verse 11. Writing to the Corinthians, you also joined in helping us through what? Prayers that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed upon us through the prayers of many. So people are going through the difficult times they have to, we all have to recognize we're not self-sufficient. We need the Lord's help, but we need who else's help? The help of fellow believers and the prayers that they could, and God answers the prayers of people. Same thing happens, just uh, for a side note, so you have to have the shouldering. I do my part. But look over in Galatians chapter 5. He does the same thing in Galatians 5. <clears throat> Notice in verse 5 and then also in verse 2. Galatians chapter... If I said 5, I meant 6. Galatians chapter 6. And it's two different words, but let me read it to you in verse 5. Galatians 6, 5. Each one shall bear his what? His own burdens. But then go up to verse 5. Or verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. The different word in verse 2 is a burden, the excessive burden that one person cannot carry. So we each have our own burdens to carry, but when they're excessive, beyond our capability, what are other believers supposed to do? To help. Well, I have to unload part of the burden on somebody else, and somebody else has to do it. So you think about it, the pattern of Paul, did Paul recognize he couldn't do it on his own? Did he recognize he had a partner? In the Holy Spirit. He recognized he had a place to turn to in the Word of God. He had also people to turn to in the, all the different churches. How did they know about his problems? He has to have told them, and they then took it to heart and were praying about it. And that's how he's thanking them for it. He gives the credit to God and to their prayers, not just, hey, I was just tough, I toughed it out and made it. So our pattern, I think, is very, very true. Uh, Paul, I can't make it on my own. Problems are going to come. I need God to help me through it. Holy Spirit, I need the Word of God to help me through it. And I also am going to need other believers to help me through it. And when we do that, we'll have a good pattern how to handle trouble because are we going to get any? We're going to get it.